This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. When you think back to childhood, do your summer memories include cousins or family reunions? My cousin Allison was my neighbor until fifth grade when she moved a few hours away, and I was so sad. She was my best friend, so every year I would spend one week during summer break and one week during Christmas break at her house. I can't think of my childhood without thinking about Allison. Today, Susan Alexander Yates joins me to talk about creating meaningful connections with your family. Susan's five adult children were scattered in various cities. She and her husband, John, wanted to forge lasting connections for their 21 grandchildren, so they began hosting Cousin Camp. In her most recent book, Susan shares practical ideas of how to create fun and memorable camp experiences for young children, teens, mixed ages, and whole families. Today, we discuss various aspects of creating true and lasting family connections. I believe after listening to today's episode, you'll be encouraged to host your own day camp, or maybe you'll be ready to tackle Cousin Camp. Good afternoon, Susan. Thanks so much for being back on the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, Amber, thanks for having me. I loved our last one, so I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, well, and we were just previously talking before we started recording about your newest book, which is called Cousin Camp. But we are kind of in this transition of coming out of quarantine, going into summer. Everybody's trying to get back in the groove, but we're not completely in the groove yet. So we were talking a little bit about uh, just how you've kind of met the needs of the people around you. And so share a little bit about what that's been like for you during quarantine releasing this book. Well, you know, it's been so interesting, Amber, because, yeah, you can't really control when a book is going to be released. That's Truth. decided months in advance. So Cousin Camp came out in March, the book, right in the midst of all our craziness. And the book really gives folks a vision and then a practical total step-by-step guideline for how to plan a cousin camp for your grandchildren. But it also includes other types of family reunions, a reunion for adults, a reunion for extended families. There's just a slew of ideas in there. And yet what happens is, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. a mom looks at that title and thinks, oh my goodness, I can't even begin to think about a family reunion or a cousin camp. I'm just trying to get through the day. And I'm just trying to get to lunch, girl. I got mine like sucked. (laughs) That's true. Or I'm just trying to get to to the place where somebody falls asleep or somebody's not pulling on my body or somebody doesn't need me right this minute. True. What I realized was that what moms at home need right now is help for the now. I mean, we also need, I like to look at it sort of with two phrases. We need help for the now and hope for tomorrow. Mm 
Yeah. So we do need to have a vision for tomorrow. And we can talk about that in a little bit, but for what we can do when we can plan a, a family get together. But most immediately moms need help for the right now. So what I did was I took the principles laid out in cousin camp and just transferred them into a small ebook. Mm-hmm. It's free. That's the good news. It's, That's right. It's a free download. It's called camp at home. 100 ideas, 100 practical ideas for families. And it's really on how to host a camp in your own home. Mm-hmm. You could also be creative and do one with some neighbors that you have begun to see. Um, so you don't feel so alone, but it's just ideas that you can do to get through the craziness of being stuck at home, which is really wearing thin on everyone. It is. And, you know, I'll make sure that I do put that in the show notes, a link to that where they can find that. And I mean, I feel like, I don't know about in Virginia for you guys, but you know, we're actually traveling to Florida next week. Some people are like, oh my gosh, you're traveling. But for us, it's going to see more family. So we won't be doing a lot of other things. So it's actually nice to think about, okay, we're all going to be kind of cooped up together, but we could utilize those ideas that you share in that ebook. Yes, you certainly could. And, you know, all you have to do is just go to the site and download it and signing up for it. It signs you up for my blog, which has lots of other ideas as well. That's right. Well, you have 21 grandchildren, and we talked about this in our episode a little bit together when uh, we discussed thriving and transition. And so when you started hosting Cousin Camp, like, tell us a little bit about what led to that, what inspired you to do it. Just share a little bit of that story. Oh, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Well, John and I had five children in seven years, which is a little bit of a crazy maker. Uh, Numbers four and five were twins, which I only found out I was having twins three weeks before they were born. So that really crazy. So all of a sudden we had this big family and we had always prayed for our kids from the time they started coming that as most of your listeners that they would learn to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul. And then the second commandment and to love their neighbor as ourselves. And that's sort of been our family vision as we've raised our children. And when you think about your neighbor, really your closest neighbor is your spouse. If you're married and then your kids, if you have kids. Mm. And so as we raised our five kids, into adulthood and then launched them, that was always our prayer, that they'd love the Lord and that they'd love each other. And I think you have to be intentional in both of those areas. So then we begin to have grandchildren. All five of our kids are married and we're spread out. We live in different states and we had 21 grandchildren. So that's been a crazy maker as well. Actually, one of our twins had quadruplets. Oh my gosh, girl. That yeah, is she just had crazy. a little... It's crazy. She actually had five kids in two years because she had a little girl who was not quite two when the quads were born. So that's really been crazy. But as we looked at all our grandchildren, we we looked at each other, my husband, John and I, and we said, you know, we just we want to have a way for these cousins to get to know each other because we only one set of our grandkids lives in our same town. And so we decided we would begin a cousin camp. And I I had this idea from a friend of mine named Judy, who's 10 years ahead of me. You know, it's always great, Amber, to have somebody a season ahead of you yes. that you can learn from. And so Judy had hosted a cousin camp 
for years. She called it grandma camp. So I picked her brain and we decided to start. She, her advice to us was don't let them come until they're four years old because then you are dealing with nighttime fears and wet beds and whiny toddlers. <laughs> so um, we decided that for us, that was a good idea. Now I do tell some stories in the book about people who, who start much younger and actually have camps, camps for younger children. Right. So that's not a hard and fast rule. Um, it's just what you have to do what's best for you, but that's what's been best for us. Right. So our first year we had camp, we had five children from three different families. I think we had two four-year-olds, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And our camp lasts for three days, for three nights and four days. So the parents drop the kids off. Parents are not allowed, which is great. Um, (laughs) Parents drop the kids off and leave. And we begin camp with a, a big celebration supper. And one of the fun things that we do at camp, we have lots of traditions, but one of our favorites that sort of become a hallmark, we've now had camp for 11 years and all 21 of our children, grandchildren now come. But one of the hallmark traditions is the largest Sunday in our county, Warren County in Virginia. Uh, I bought a gutter the first year at a hardware store and then lined it with aluminum tinfoil and put, you know, it's about 18 feet long and put rows and rows of ice cream and toppings and nuts and whipped cream all down the gutter. That's so cool. That's just a fun thing. It's outdoors. And that's one of the things we do. We always have the ice cream gutter. That is such a neat idea. Yeah. And so see, anybody can do that at home, wherever you live. That's right. The beautiful thing is it's summer now and isn't God gracious to have had this pandemic hit while we're going into summer and not winter. Listen, I have said so many times, Susan, and we're blessed to live in Raleigh, you know, gorgeous weather in Raleigh. But you know, we had some friends at the beginning of this that lived in Minnesota. And I mean, you're still in the dead of winter in March. (laughs) Not really the dead of winter, but but I thought, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Because we've had honestly the most beautiful weather we've had since we've lived here. Um, the spring has been wonderful. So I totally get it. It, if we were going into winter, it would be a whole different world for all of us for sure. Yeah, it really would. But so you start hosting this cousin camp and you'd said that all 21 come now. Uh huh. And their, their age ranges are eight to eight to 21. That's so great. Yeah. And the older, the thing that's been so beautiful is to watch the influence that the older kids have on the younger kids. You know, we talk about peer pressure and it always seems to be in the context of the negative, but I have seen peer pressure work in the context of the positive over and over again at each camp. One of the things that we learned early on, we didn't do this at our first camp because we were totally ignorant. You know, you learn things, you learn from your mistakes, you learn you learn things, how to make adjustments. And a couple, few years into camp, I'm not even, can't even remember how many years, maybe two or three, we realized that the kids were quickly outnumbering us and we couldn't manage all of this. And so we designed what we called the buddy system. And this has been one of the favorite things at camp, and it, which has been a complete surprise. What we do is we match up an older camper to a younger camper. So everybody has a buddy. Everybody has an older buddy at camp. And the job of the older buddy is to help 
the new campers in particular, you're, we call the four-year-olds that come newbies, and everybody gets a water bottle with their name on it permanently, um, and a flashlight. Everything has your names on them, and the buddies teach the little ones what bathroom to go to, how to move the stool, how to fill their own water bottle, because Amber, could you imagine 10, 11, oh. 12 kids asking us to get them a glass of water? Well, yeah. well I have three that ask me that. Yeah. And it, just I, doesn't, it was too much. It doesn't work. So one of the jobs of the buddies is to do this. And then the buddies sit with the kids during Bible study in the morning. And another thing we did our first year at camp was when you first come to camp, you get a journal. This is kind of the rite of passage of becoming mm -hmm. a camper. And you get a journal and it has your picture, which I've gotten from, you know, the stacks of photographs glued on the front. And this is your camp journal. And this is what we use for Bible study each morning. And the journals live at our house. They don't go home because if they went home, they'd get lost. So every year the kids come and then they race upstairs to the bookshelf and they pull out their camp journals and they add to them year after year. And that's been really fun because they look back six years ago at their wobbly handwriting and funny pictures and they just laugh. But yeah. one of the buddies' jobs is to sit with their younger buddy during Bible study time and help the younger ones who maybe don't write write out the verse, the theme verse, or help them draw a picture about the Bible study we've just talked about. And then the buddies help with serving plates during the buffet meals and looking after the kids throughout the day. It's just been precious because inevitably in the spring, I'll get a call from one of the grandchildren and they'll say, gee, they call us gee and poppy. Gee, who's going to be my buddy this year? Aww. They just can't wait. And it's also, you know, one of the benefits is it teaches the older kids how to care for younger kids. Yes. And it's done in the context of fun. Right. So there's lots of lessons going on, but that's been a real surprise. It's been a tremendous blessing is the buddy system. And your buddy is never a sibling. Your buddy is a cousin. Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, you're kind of leading right into the next question I was going to ask you about just what the nuts and the bolts of cousin camp is or really any gathering of people that you're consistently doing from year to year. It sounds like Bible study is one of those nuts and bolts, this gutter ice cream. What do you call it again? Just the largest, our county's largest banana split. That's so great. So tell us some of, you know, just the nuts and bolts, how you and John go about planning it and a little bit about what that process looks like. Well, that's a good question because we discovered through, again, through older mentors years ago, a different way to plan an event. You know, I think most of us think in terms of planning event, we jump right to program. Well, what would it be fun to do? What program should we have? Mm. And we plan a program and we have the event and it may go well, it may not. But the question is, does it have lasting impact? It might, it might not. So friends of ours, Chuck and Kathy, taught us a different way to plan. And we have actually used this paradigm, not only in cousin camp, but in our marriage and our raising our kids and in our ministry life. And what this paradigm looks like is you begin with needs. You, you sort of visualize three columns on a piece of paper, needs, goals, programs. And when we think in terms of needs, we write down the names of the participants. And this applies to cousin camp or an extended family camp. What are the needs of this person who's coming to camp? And 
I go into a lot of detail in the book about this, but we think through the grid of needs in five areas of growth that we all have, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, and physical. So let me give you an example. We have a four-year-old camp, a four-year-old little girl coming to camp for the first time, and her name is Selah. What would be her emotional needs? Well, she may be fearful because she doesn't even know some of her cousins. She may be a little hesitant about sleeping at night. Her big emotional need is that she feels secure and safe from the get-go. So we have her sleep with her siblings. We have siblings sleep together because that gives you security. Now, you know, once you get into the teen years, we don't do that because teenagers all like to sleep together. But when you're dealing with younger kids, that would be an example of an emotional need. We may have Davy, a social need. And one of the goals for Davy is that he socially needs to get away from his three brothers. Mm-hmm. And he needs to get to know his cousin, two cousins that match him in age that live in different states that he doesn't really know. So therefore we design the program so that Davy is not with his brothers. He is intentionally paired up with cousins. So what we do is we think through the needs of each of the children and needs change because every year kids are growing up and you know we're all growing and changing hopefully. And then we design the program to meet the needs. But the program does have just sort of blocks. You know, the blocks don't change a whole lot. We have, you know, the block of early in the morning, breakfast, Bible study. Then we usually have an event, things like scavenger hunt, obstacle course. We have a little pond, so we swim in the pond. We Because we have cousin camp in June, we usually go berry picking. That's a staple of camp for us. We go to one of the local farms and pick berries and then come back. And some of my girl granddaughters have become really good cooks and they lead a cooking class. That's really cool. Which is really fun. And then, you know, we have arts and crafts. One of my favorite, and this is again, a winner all the time for those of you who are stuck at home with kids. The construction business is not shut down. The construction business is still booming. And every year I go and I find a house under construction in my neighborhood. And I ask the builders if they would just throw into a pile scraps of wood. You know, they have all these little chips of wood of different sizes. And then I go back and I take a garbage bag and I collect a whole bunch of wood. And then I have about six hammers and nails with large heads. They need to be the nails with the large heads. And we have craft projects, just creating whatever you want out of wood and nails. And that has been a, been a big hit. And then you can also paint on the wood. So if you're a mom at home, that's something you could do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And really any age, that's appropriate for any age, maybe not a two-year-old, but any older kids, because they can get really creative. Some of our teenagers created this incredible maze with about 50 nails and a ping pong ball, where you had to drop the ping pong ball down this piece of wood, and it had to go through the maze of nails and get to the bottom. Now, they created that just themselves. I never would have thought of that. Right. Well, and I feel like when you get them together a lot of times, it's like you said, their brains really do start working pretty good collaboratively together. And then that really does build the relationship between cousins, between anybody, but that relationship can be so strong for a lifetime. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I did we never had cousin camp, but I was very fortunate to grow up around my cousins 
as neighbors. And I mean, my cousin, who's nine months younger than me, she is as much like a sister to me, you know, as my own sister. And we're we're all just, yeah, we don't get to see each other as often. We um, don't talk as often as we used to, but we're very, very close. Oh, that's really special. You're very blessed. I Yes, for sure. In Cousin Camp, you say something, and it really struck me because I know it's so true, not even just for adults that are planning an event like this, but even like for me, if I was just going to be a participant, <laughs> you say there's one big expectation we all need to let go of over and over. It's the expectation of being appreciated. We want our adult children to appreciate us, and we want our grandchildren to appreciate us. Expound on that a bit and how important it is. You know, there's a lot of expectations we'll have about camp, and we have about life, and we have about our husbands and our kids that get disappointed. And that can either make us bitter, or it can make us people filled with grace. And one of the things that all of us are not very good at is being grateful and appreciating. And I remember, actually, this is a funny story, but our very first camp we had, I really cleaned my house. I wanted to impress my adult children when they dropped their kids off for camp. I mean, I had flowers everywhere. The house was spotless. I even put flowers in the bed in the bathroom, Amber, which is sounds like me. (laughs) I was really trying to impress my adult children. I called my friend Elaine, who lives next door. I said, "You got to come down and see my house. It's perfect." So she came down, you know, we all need girlfriends who will ooh and ah. And she came down and ooh and odd and thought it was gorgeous. And then the kids came and they hit the front door yeah. and in came the muddy shoes and in came the backpacks and in came the sleeping bags. Within 10 minutes, my house was trashed and nobody noticed my flowers. Nobody noticed how clean the house was. So <laughs> I went to the phone and I called Elaine and I said, you got to come back down here. And she walked through the house. I said, I just need a girlfriend who understands. And she walked through and she was just as dismayed as I was. Well, in that moment, I knew I had to make a decision. Do I want a clean house or do I want happy kids? Hmm. And I knew that happy kids was much more important. And honest, I never cleaned my house again before camp ever because I knew it was going to get trashed anyway. So Did the kids appreciate a clean house? No, they didn't appreciate a clean house. Will they appreciate camp and tell us how wonderful it it is? Well, some of the older ones will because their parents make them write notes, Um, but not totally. And they have no idea how exhausting it is for me and John and how much work it takes. So that's just a really unrealistic expectation. And Our older kids, the more we've done it, our adult children appreciate it because it gives them a break. I mean, they are so funny. When their youngest gets to come to camp, what that means for them is honeymoon, honeymoon. (laughs) I mean, they pull in the driveway, they push the kids out of the car and they leave. They're like, we're not even saying hi to mom and dad. (laughs) Yeah, they don't. And they go off. So I know they do appreciate it. But if you try to focus on your kids appreciating and affirming, you're going to be disappointed. And I'll tell you what's helped me just really honestly is to look back at my own life and to ask the question, did I appreciate my parents when I landed on them with five children, seven and under? No. Did I ever even thank them? 
I can't remember doing that. I mean, it's embarrassing to me now as the grandmother when I think about how much I took my mom and dad for granted. So yeah. I think it's, it's an unrealistic expectation to expect that your kids will appreciate you now. They will appreciate you maybe 20 years from now, mm. but not right now. So I think that's something we all have to get over. And I think we see this in our marriages too. You know, one of the things that we wives especially need to hear from our husbands is, honey, thank you for watching the kids all day long today. Or, or thank you for the carpooling you did all over North Carolina today. And yet husbands don't often think to do that. And sometimes it helps just to give them a little cheat sheet, not nag them, not fuss at them, but simply say, you know, sweetie, it would really make my day if you would say thank you and give them three or four things, very specific. Thank you for the cleaning. Thank you for the carpooling. Thank you for wiping poopy bottoms one more time. <laughs> um, and what that also does is it teaches your children to be grateful. And, you know, another thing in this and training your own children to appreciate others is make sure your kids write thank you notes. It's really a lost art. And it's really important that they learn to write thank you notes. If they're little, they can send a picture. But for anything someone does for you, for any birthday gift or Christmas gift or anything nice, have your children write thank you notes. And yes, they'll groan and they'll complain. But the best way to do it is to have a thank you note writing party and just get some popcorn and crayons and note paper and gather around the table and just do it all at once. It's and that's a good a important discipline. And it's a good reminder for me because I'll never forget a moment when I was sitting around the table and I had very, I think I may have only had one child and we had not written a thank you note and we received an email that was a little bit insensitive in my opinion about not receiving a thank you note regarding mm -hmm. a gift and I was pretty irritated. My husband was pretty irritated. And honestly, we were irritated for several days, um, maybe even weeks. But it never left my mind because I kept thinking, ultimately, it was correct. And it was good that we got called out on it because it's not a discipline that I always practiced. And it's something I struggle with, but I see the value in it because as I'm getting older, I often appreciate those thank yous. That's right. And, you know, it's just a character trait. It's it a is. It's trait of gratitude that we want to instill in our children. And if they learn to be thankful to another person, it will enhance their ability to be thankful to God. Mm, such a good perspective. You know, just one thing you can do during this COVID is to keep a gratitude journal mm -hmm. at the dining room table or at the kitchen table. And each day, have a child and the kids love it when it's their turn, write down different things that you're thankful for that happened that day. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, that's one of the things like even around our dinner table, we, you know, it's a tradition that we have, or maybe I should just say a practice or a discipline where, you know, we just say what's your favorite part of the day, your least favorite part of the day, tell us something you're thankful for. And then if they have a question, they get to ask anybody at the table a question. Oh, that's great, Amber. Those are great ideas. I mean, it, it came to us actually through another friend. One of my college roommates does that around her table. And when I was around her table one evening visiting, I was like, yes, this is awesome. But you're right. Practicing gratitude 
it just helps so much. It helps in a lot of different ways and it's just a good practice. So anyways, we could chat about that forever and that's completely, um, I don't want to say it's completely off topic, but I mean, we want to talk so much about cousin camp, but also how somebody can put this into practice in some other ways. And you are so great about sharing a lot of different ideas that you know, different people, couples, families, and some ideas that they have implemented in their own families regarding, you know, kind of quote unquote cousin camp. Can you share some of those ideas with us? Sure. Well, I have a friend who um, wanted to have a family reunion and she comes from a pretty painful past and the family is, all the people in the family don't have a lot in common, but she wanted to make a star. You know, the great news, Amber, is you can be the first of a generation of healthy families. And, you know, all we have to do is take the first step. The one thing that her family members had in common was that most of them had some kind of a military heritage or had somebody who had served in the military. So she planned a two-day reunion around the theme of military. And she had people come dressed in fatigues. She prepared a booklet that had stories of their different relatives from World War II. She had a picture of two grand, a grandfather and his two brothers seated on a tank She had um, obstacle courses and prizes, and a lot of the prizes were based on character traits. She just used the military theme to really play it up, Mm. and that that gave a theme of unity to her family reunion. It was all ages, and it was short, and I recommend that short is always better than long because you want something to be a big success, the first one, so that people want more next time. You don't want them to be waiting for it to be over. (laughs) But I tell about 15 stories of different in my book of different types of camps that others have done. I have friends who um, have who have grandchildren and they decided to they have both girls and boys and they're all young. They decided to divide their camp and have a girl's toddler camp and have just the grand three granddaughters from three different families for 24 hours. Now, these were smaller. Then the next summer, do the boys. And they had a grand time with these three little girls without the parents. It's wonderful because you really get to know your children without the parents. Watching these three little girls, how they interacted with one another and kind of who led in what event. And they did fun things like painting their grandfather's toenails. (laughs) Um, He will never live that down. But uh, there's just a whole array of different ideas in the book for what you can do. I'll tell you something that John and I did a few years ago, which is, was really special. Now that our kids are bigger, we both come from large families. And this particular year, we decided he has three siblings and then a first cousin who's like another sibling. And we decided to have these four couples for a three-day family reunion, just adults. And because we were all in our 60s, we thought, We've lived long enough where we have a track record of seeing God's faithfulness. And so we used the theme. We didn't want to just get together and talk and complain about different body aches that hit you when you're in your 60s. We wanted to have a sense of purpose about it. So we took the theme throughout the three days of looking back at our life in 20-year segments. And we asked the question, where in the first 20 years of your life did you see God's faithfulness? 
And we learned stories about each other that we didn't even know. Mm. My cousin's wife had been born blind and she was not from a religious family, but she had a, a godly grandfather who went to every pastor in her small town and asked them to put her on their prayer list. And she recovered her sight. We didn't know that. So that's a really great question to ask, you know, where did you see God's faithfulness in the first 20 years of your life, in the second 20 years of your life, in the third 20 years of your life, however old you are? Well, so tell me with that, just out of curiosity, did you just kind of prep them before they came to your house, like with, hey, during, we're going to kind of have these sessions. In session one, we're going to reflect on God's faithfulness for the first 20 years. Or how did you go about curating, you know, what you all were going to talk about before they arrived? We didn't, because for this reason, I didn't want anybody to be uptight or nervous. We wanted it just to be natural and organic. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of laughter. And sometimes if you have people prepare for a family reunion, it takes the fun and the spontaneity out of it. True. Now, <laughs> you can have them bring something if you want them to contribute to something. Hey, bring your oldest picture. That's different because that just involves going through boxes and finding something. But um, no, we intentionally did not have them do that. It just sort of came up organically once everybody arrived and we'd had dinner and we said, hey, we thought this would be a fun thing to do. And so that's how we did it. Okay. That helps me because, see, I'm that person that feels like I got a plan for everything. And so I definitely am trying more and more to be flexible. I think that my family would say sometimes that's true, but it's still maybe not true enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you one thing we've done just so that people feel they know each other. One of the things that's hard is when you're having a family reunion and it is Children are easier at just diving right in. But if it's adults and they really don't know each other and it's multi-generational, I had two of my nieces come up with a, a newsletter where they asked, this was a big, another big family reunion. They sent out an email and asked for responses. Send us your favorite thing from this year. Um, the best book you've read in this year. What, what is your jo- current job? Because they didn't even, you know, a lot of the people didn't know each other. What's your current job and what's your favorite thing about what you do? They were very just random questions. And then they put it into an e-newsletter so that everybody arrived knowing a little bit about each other. And that was really a great way to have people come in, not totally uninformed, but just with a little knowledge, just a newsletter. That's right. Well, and I mean, the ultimate goal, and you say this, is really just creating connection that lasts. The reality is sometimes people aren't planners or so on and so forth, but it's really hard to create a connection that lasts unless we're intentional. That's right. And you know, another thing I do, Amber, every year before Cousin Campus, I ask four or five girlfriends to pray for us. I know I need prayer. And so having just a, you know, a few friends who are praying for your family event and who have your back is huge. I mean, it's so important to just reach out and take that step, whether it's asking someone to pray, planning the next thing, because I think back over my own life, how many times I have done something and how many times I haven't. And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to be viewed as stupid or it's, it has a lot to do with, will this be acceptable to others? When ultimately it's usually, it's typically received very well. 
and people get excited about it. And if they don't get excited about it the first go around by year two and three, it's caught on and it's much more enjoyable. That's right. Um, I started doing a family reunion on my dad's side of the family just for a couple of hours, but we just, everybody kept moving away and you didn't see each other as often. And so, you know, I just picked a Saturday and we would get together when my grandmother was still living. And it was such a blessed time for her because she rarely had all of us together as we got older at one time. That's right. That was the greatest gift you could give her. Yeah, she she did love it. And, and I enjoyed it. I mean, it was great to see the joy that she experienced just having everybody there. So tell me, what would you say to a person who may be listening who just feels like it's too late to start? Like, how would you encourage, encourage him or her to move forward when she looks and says, oh, man, my grandkids are grown or, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z reason may be? You know, I'd say just the first principle is it's never too late to do what's right. It's never too late. Even if you come from a painful family situation, our God is a God who redeems. And I think sometimes we get just overwhelmed at thinking about the bigness and the details. So I would just say, set a date, send out an email to throw out the idea, see if you can get a date on the calendar, whether it's one day or two days or three days, a date and a location. So the first thing is setting a date. And if it's a big family reunion, we have to set a date way ahead. Um, And then just go with whoever can come. You know, you may not have to set a date that far ahead, but start small, plan a, a short one. And then another thing that's really helpful, Amber, is to delegate as much as you can. If somebody like my getting my nieces to do a newsletter they were good at that and they're tech savvy and that's nothing I ever could have done, but that got them on board. And when you have an aunt call you and I recommend brainstorming on the phone for something like this rather than by email, because we sort of, we stimulate one another when we're in conversation. Mm. And so I got my two nieces on the phone and said, Hey, I just want to run an idea by you and I need you to brainstorm with me. And they, got really excited. Now, if one of the parents had asked them, they probably wouldn't have, you know, that's why I didn't ask my own children. I asked two nieces. So delegate (laughs) whatever you can. And that includes more people and it gives them more ownership. One of my nieces said, you know, Aunt Susan, what we need to do is we need to have a project because, you know, men who don't really know each other have a hard time kind of sitting around talking. And she said, can we come up with a project? And I said, sure. And we began to brainstorm, what could we come up with? And we came up with a tree house to build. Oh, so wow. The guy, have all those men come to my house. <laughs> yeah. They had the best time and the kids got involved. And, you know, I got the wood that the guys told me. And again, we delegated the tree house to some of the dads. And that was just a brilliant idea because it gave them a way to connect over doing something, yes. which men really love. Yes, it's so true. I mean, I think of a couple of friends of mine that just when their parents come in town, you know, the the son and the dad really love to create together. And I think part of that started because they didn't have a whole lot in common. And uh-huh. that was something that they could to get do together that would create just a space for meaningful conversation while they're doing something. That's right. Well, so tell me, are you guys going to host Cousin Camp this summer? 
Well, you know, we're not because, well, you know, the pandemic has kind of thrown a yeah. ringer in everything, but also our very first grandchild is getting married. Uh, oh, that's Labor fantastic. Day yeah. So we're thrilled. So we had already planned a family reunion for the week before Labor Day. She's getting married the week, Labor Day weekend. So we're going to move to family. As our kids have gotten bigger, um, we're moving more to a family reunion rather than a cousin camp. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That'll be fun to go to your first wedding of your oldest grandchild. Well, so Susan, as we start to close up, tell everyone, I'm assuming Cousin Camp can pretty much be bought anywhere, Amazon, all the places, right? Right. You can get Cousin Camp anywhere, you know, all the major books, bookstores and Amazon. The best place to get it right now is at Baker Publishing. If you go to my website, it'll pop up because they're having a sale. Baker Books is having a sale and they also ship right away. Oh, nice. Okay. And then your your website is Susan Alexander Yates. Is that correct? Yes. Just SusanAlexanderYates.com. And we can find all of the information there in addition to um, the free download that I'll make sure that I link. That's right. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. I just love talking with you, Amber. You are super fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives to listen to previous episodes featuring women who are impacting God's kingdom by taking small steps of faith in their day-to-day lives. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Also, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play and click the subscribe button. Clicking that button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. If you share the show on social media, use the hashtag graceenoughpodcast or tag me at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app for videos and more visit dts.edu slash podcast.